0: of the
1: third kind welcome to theories of the third kind my name is aaron and i am one of your hosts today there's another host that is joining me daniel son yo guys Now real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you could do that.
0: One of the ways is Patreon. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back
1: catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over one hundred and one extra Patreon episodes, which is a lot of extra hours for you to listen to. Okay. Now, to see the full list of Patreon episodes, go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on the Patreon episodes tab. There, you'll be able to see that entire list of past Patreon exclusive episodes that we have published.
0: Also, today we added another Patreon exclusive episode which is over the Yuba County Five, which is about five guys that end up going to a basketball game and on their way home, end up on a mountain and go missing. So you get access to that episode as well as all of the others for just
1: $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or on Spotify, and that helps us out a lot.
0: However, don't feel pressured to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoots, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are
1: to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over the Charlie Project. So, how this episode will go today is we'll talk about what is the Charlie Project, and then we'll go into some notable cases and then strange facts and findings and then theories, and then wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. In
0: 1997, almost one million people in the United States went missing. 75% of those missing individuals were children.
1: This horrifying fact is rarely talked about by the media, and over the past few years, many of these crimes have been uncovered. However, a lot of people are still unaware of them.
0: For example, were you aware that for almost 25 years, a woman ran an adoption agency who would kidnap children and then sell them to rich families?
1: Today, we cover strange and horrible stories like these that are all being kept on a public website that collects information on individuals who have disappeared.
0: This is The Charlie Project.
1: Now, before we dive into some of these stories, we first need to explain what this project is exactly. So, Dan, can you tell us a little bit about it? What
0: is the Charlie Project? Well, it is a public website that collects information on cold cases of individuals in the United States who have been missing for over a year. Now, the Charlie Project doesn't actively investigate these missing cases. It just acts as a website that documents as much information as possible about these cases into a database for the public and law enforcement to help solve them.
1: So that's what the website is. I mean, it's pretty upfront. And before we get into some of the odd missing cases of individuals, I wanted to talk a little bit about statistics real quick, just to kind of give you a overview of all this. And just an FYI, we have mentioned these statistics before in a past episode, which is the Missing 411 episode that we published in June of last year. But like I said, I figured it would be helpful if we mentioned these statistics again. All right, Dan, tell us some statistics about missing people.
0: So get this. In the year 1997, the United States had 980,712 people that were reported missing. That was just in 1997. To break that down even further, That is 2,687 people reported missing every day. Or 112 people reported missing every hour. Two people going missing every minute in the United States.
1: Damn, math. You're good at it. Crazy. And yeah, those are some crazy statistics. Now, since 1997, the numbers of missing people in the United States has gotten a little bit better. But still, I mean, last year, for example, in 2021, 521,263 people went missing in the United States. And just a little FYI, if you don't believe us, you can find all of this information at the NCIC, which is the National Crime Information Center website. So you can go there. You can fact check us if you want to. All right. Anyway. So 521,263 people went missing last year in the United States, and to break those numbers down, that is roughly 1,428 people going missing every day, or roughly 60 people missing every hour, which is insane.
0: I mean, that's better than what it was in 97, but still.
1: Yeah, it's almost cut in half, but. Still, that is a lot of people missing every year. I didn't think it'd be that much, but apparently it is.
0: So another thing worth mentioning is that these numbers of missing people each year are also broken down into multiple different categories. One of them being by age, which consists of only two age categories, under the age of 18 and above the age of 18. So anyone under the age of 18 is classified as a juvenile when missing, and anyone over the age of 18 is classified as, well, an adult. And guess what? In 2021, the number of missing people under the age of 18 was much higher than those 18 and over.
1: Oh, yeah. So, that number of 521,263 people that went missing in 2021, well, get this 337,195 of them were children under the age of 17. And of course, 184,068 of them were adults over the age of 18. And to break this down a little bit further, That's 65% of everyone going missing in the United States last year was under the age of 17. So it tells you that children are the primary targets.
0: All right. So needless to say, those numbers are pretty horrifying. And that is what the Charlie Project website was wanting to try and help fix. This website allows people to search through cold cases of missing people in the United States to help and try to solve them. Now. Before we get into strange facts and findings, we're first going to go over some notable cases of people that have been mentioned on the Charlie Project that have disappeared and were never found.
1: So, Aaron, can you start that off for us? Absolutely. All right. So the first disappearance case that we're going to talk about has been described as one of the most baffling mysteries in Oregon history. And it involves a girl named Barbara Martin and her entire family. So Barbara was a 14-year-old girl who lived in Portland, Oregon, and at that time she was a freshman at Grant High School. So on December 7th, 1958, Barbara, her father Kenneth, her mother, and her two sisters, Susan, who was 13, and Virginia, who was 11, they all gathered up into the family's Ford station wagon and went to go purchase some Christmas decorations.
0: Something worth mentioning real quick is that Barbara Susan and Virginia weren't Kenneth and his wife's only kids. They did have another older one. His name was Donald. And at this time in December of 1958, he was in the Navy and stationed in New York. Now just keep this in the back of your head as we go forward because we circle back to it.
1: All right. So the family had gone and purchased Christmas decorations together. Then later that afternoon, on their way back home, the family stopped at a restaurant to have dinner. And then they left the restaurant and started their drive back home. However, the family never made it back home. A few days later, the neighbors started noticing, hey, where's the family at? And some extended family started noticing, hey, they're not picking up the phone. They're not at their house. So the police were eventually called, and they ended up going to the family's home. They picked the lock, went in, and they found that everything in their home was left undisturbed, that no one had broken in, and, like, everything was kind of just the same how they left it.
0: The police then opened up a missing persons case and started an official investigation. However, for months, the entire family remained missing. And just an FYI real quick, this may seem like a simple family gone missing case, but it isn't. It gets very weird. Oh yeah. So, two months later, in February of 1959, an individual discovered tire tracks that were heading off a cliff into Columbia River, near where the family was driving. The police were alerted, however... They didn't really search the river or look into it.
1: Then, in May of that year, a river drilling rig near where the site of the tire tracks were reported a few months prior. Well, that drilling rig, their anchor, had hooked onto something heavy in the river. The crew tried pulling whatever this object was up to the surface. However, the object that was stuck on their anchor came loose and fell back down into the bottom of the river and the crew never actually saw what they actually hooked onto; They just knew it was something big and heavy.
0: A few days later, the bodies of 13-year-old Susan and 11-year-old Virginia were found downstream. An autopsy was performed, however, the cause of death could not be determined due to their bodies being extremely decomposed. It is worth noting that 11-year-old Virginia had a hole in her head.
1: So after Virginia and Susan's bodies were found, The police continued their investigation. They attempted to search the river for evidence. However, during their search, a diver nearly died. So the police were like, no, 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 we're not doing it anymore. And uh, following that, the police decided to make an announcement.
0: The police stated that they believed that the entire family had died and that one of two things happened to them, that they either accidentally drove their car into the river or that the family was possibly abducted and were inside their car as it was pushed
1: off the cliff into the river. They kind of just were like, hey, one of these two things happened, which is like, okay, it's obvious it's one of those two things, you know?
0: Yeah, if it was the second thing, they would actually have to do more investigation to find out, right?
1: Yeah, but they were just lazy. Yeah. So shortly after that announcement, someone in that town was walking along the road, and they actually came across an abandoned, stolen car, and the person started looking through it. The person found a blood-stained gun near this stolen car and ended up turning it over to the sheriff's office. The police at the time took the gun and they're like, okay, thanks, and they really didn't think anything of it or even thought that it would be connected to the case of the missing family at that time.
0: However, the police looked into the gun and found out that it was stolen from a sporting goods store several years ago And guess who they linked it to? Donald, the oldest child of the family who was in the Navy and in New York at the time of the family's disappearance. So the police started to look into him.
1: The police noticed some very odd things. For example, Donald didn't have a good relationship with his family. When his family disappeared, he didn't even come back to Oregon to help search for them. He also didn't even attend their memorial service. However. Donald did return to Oregon in June of 1959 to settle the estate. Of course, he's got to get that money, you know.
0: Even though those were some odd things and the police suspected that Donald was involved in his family's disappearance, he was never charged. Not only that, the police never processed the bloodstained gun that was linked to Donald as evidence. Following that, no further searches were made and the case was closed. Donald ended up dying in 2003. And to this day, the remains of 14 year old Barbara, her father Kenneth, and her mother were never
1: found. And that's the first case. I mean, it seems like a pretty clean cut case to me that the police screwed up. They didn't do the proper investigation. The son came home, stole a vehicle, shot and killed his family, pushed the car off a cliff. They ended up drowning. He ended up abandoning the vehicle, abandoning the firearm went back to the Navy, had an alibi that checked out. So the police didn't really suspect him until they found the gun, which at that point, when they processed it, they never entered it in as evidence so it couldn't be used against Donald.
0: I mean, also, though, it could look like someone tried to frame him to say that he did join the Navy. If he's stolen that gun, he can't take that with him to the, like, you know, joining the Navy. They're going to know that it was stolen. Yeah. So he left it at the house. Someone used that gun to frame him, because they knew he didn't have a good relationship with this family.
1: I like that. Maybe it was Kenneth, the father. It could have been. Yeah, shot and killed the family and then, uh, you know, pushed it off into the river and then left.
0: Yeah, because we'll never know if Barbara, Kenneth, and the mother are in the vehicle or not. or Because the police decided to call off the search in the river. Yep. Bad diver.
1: Yeah, bad diver, exactly. Send us down there. <sighs> and uh, first of all, I don't like diving in in rivers. And I don't want to dive down and see a dead body. I'm I'm good with just seeing, like, crabs and lobsters and stuff. Give me a
0: rope and a heavy-duty magnet on the end of it. We'll get that car. We'll get it out of there.
1: (laughs) All right. So let's go on to our next case, which is the disappearance of 4-year-old Marjorie West. So on May 8, 1938, Marjorie, her 11-year-old sister, Dorothea, Her seven-year-old brother, Alan, and her parents attended a church service in their hometown of Bradford, Pennsylvania. After church, the family decided to have a Mother's Day picnic in the white gravel area, which was a 40-minute drive from their home. Now, just a little side note, I tried looking up this white gravel area, and I couldn't find any pictures of it, but throughout this story, When they talk about this white gravel area, it just sounds like an area where, like, they dig up gravel and it's all white. It's like, why would you want to go there to have a family picnic, especially it being 40 miles away? But whatever.
0: The family arrived at the gravel area and had a picnic. Afterwards, as the parents talked and relaxed, Marjorie and her sister, Dorothea, decided to walk near the large boulders and pick flowers. During this, Their parents warned them against walking behind a larger boulder where they were at because they were afraid of them getting bit by snakes. Because of this, their father and brother got up and checked the area and didn't find any rattlesnakes. So the sisters continued picking flowers.
1: After a little while, Dorothea decided to go talk to her mom and left Marjorie near that big-ass boulder picking flowers, all alone. Only a short time later, When Dorothea returned to finish picking flowers with her sister, she noticed that Marjorie was gone. She had just disappeared. Of course, Dorothea went, told her mother and father that she couldn't find Marjorie, and chaos ensued. The entire family started looking for her, started yelling her name out. However, they could not find her. Marjorie's mother ended up calling the police, and they showed up. They did an initial quick search of the area, but couldn't find anything.
0: The day after her disappearance, the police began a massive search and started interviewing as many people as they could within a 300 square mile area of where Marjorie had disappeared. Words started to spread about her disappearance and people initially believed that Marjorie had merely just wandered into the woods and became lost. Now, this belief was because the state police commissioner had told the newspaper that the disappearance of Marjorie probably began with a hide and seek game, which was
1: one of her favorites. So yeah, just like you said, everybody initially thought that, hey, the child had just walked into the woods. They didn't think it was a kidnapping. And because of this belief that, you know, Marjorie had just wandered into the woods, this got thousands of people in the surrounding areas to join in and help search for her in this countryside. Now, during the search, some people did find some pretty weird things. For an example they found a freshly dug grave deep into the woods. However, when that grave was dug up, it turned out to just be a buried barrel of wine.
0: Following that, some people were searching near the boulder where she had gone missing and came across a piece of lace fabric. Initially, they thought that maybe it was a piece of Marjorie's clothes. However, the family stated
1: that she did not have any lace on her clothing whenever she disappeared. The police then brought in some bloodhounds to try and pick up her scent trail, but nothing was found. Eventually, the search teams did not discover any evidence or even footprints of Marjorie anywhere. It's like she just completely vanished. However, there were a few people who contacted the police and said that they saw some weird things. For example, a taxi driver in West
0: Virginia called up the police in Pennsylvania and stated that on the night of Marjorie's disappearance at 11:38 p.m., he saw a man driving a dark green sedan. This dark green sedan pulled up next to the taxi driver and said that he was with his daughter and asked him directions to the nearest motel. As the taxi driver told him that there's a motel across the street there, he glanced in the back seat and saw a little
1: girl who matched Marjorie's description. Yet she was crying. The man thanked the taxi driver and drove to the motel across the street. Now, I want you to keep in mind that this was the day that Marjorie disappeared. So the taxi driver at the time didn't know that Marjorie had gone missing. It was just a couple days after that that the news cycle started picking it up. So after he told the man, hey, there's a motel over there, and watched him drive to the motel across the street, The taxi driver kind of thought to himself, "Eh, it's, it's a little weird that there's a little girl crying in that guy's back seat. So he decided to keep an eye on that guy's vehicle. He watched the man's SUV pull into the motel parking lot, leave the child in the car, and go inside to what he assumed was to book a motel room.
0: A few minutes later, the man returned to his SUV, drove back to the taxi driver, and told him that the motel didn't have any more rooms left and then asked him where the local liquor store was, in which he instructed him to go to a bar that was down the road. The police started to look into this report. However, nothing came from it, and that man's
1: identity remained a mystery. Following that, the media continued to report on Marjorie's disappearance. However, the media started to shift their views from, you know, Marjorie just wandering off to her probably being kidnapped. And because of this, a reward of $2,500 was offered for her safe return. Which, by the way, $2,500 back then is worth about $50,000 now. So just a little FYI. Many
0: people continue to search for Marjorie. However, to this day, she is still missing. Now, there are some rumors as to what happened to her. For example, some people think that Marjorie was taken to Canada by other family members. Some think that she may have fallen down an abandoned oil well near the white gravel area, but none of those rumors have any evidence to back them up.
1: Now, there is one rumor that the majority of the people in that area believe what truly happened to Marjorie. Now, this rumor is that she was abducted and sold to a rich family and then taken to a totally different state. And initially, on the surface, This may seem like a little less believable than her being taken to Canada or falling down an abandoned oil well. However, this rumor of her being sold to a rich family does have some evidence to back it up. And this is where the things get extremely (laughs) weird and odd because we get into a story and it is one of the craziest things I've ever heard. However, before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do not go anywhere. All right. Welcome back. So, Dan, have you ever heard of a woman named Georgia Tan? Uh, no. Yeah, I I was the same way until we started doing this research, and then I was completely dropped into this rabbit hole about her, and I was like, how come I've never heard about this before in my entire life? So get this. This Georgia Tan... She was a woman who was born in the late 1800s, and she operated a Tennessee Children's Home Society near Memphis, Tennessee.
0: Now, this Tennessee Children's Home was an adoption agency that helped find families for their children who didn't have any. This Children's Home near Memphis was the largest in the state and had branches in Jackson, Knoxville, and Chattanooga. So this specific facility, the one in Memphis, was operated by Georgia
1: 10. Now, on the surface, this facility seemed like it was great. I mean, it was finding families for children who didn't have any. And these families were going through all of the typical routes, paperwork, and laws that the facility had to abide by to make sure that these children were going to good homes. So it wasn't like this facility was just giving these children out to anyone or selling them, right? Well, on the surface, it seemed like everything was good until the truth came out.
0: So in 1950, the governor of Tennessee started receiving a ton of reports that an adoption agency in Memphis was selling children for profit. An investigation was launched and it was found out that from 1924 until 1950, Georgia Tan had been running a black market baby adoption scheme in which over 5,000 young children all over the United States were kidnapped and sold to wealthy families.
1: It's crazy, right? Damn. Now, before we get into the meat of this, let's jump back real quick and talk about the law in Tennessee at the time when it came to adoptions, all right? So back then, Tennessee law made it illegal for these adoption agencies to sell children. You couldn't go up there and be like, hey, I want to purchase a child. That was illegal. Instead, these adoption agencies would charge for their services. So this Memphis agency that was run by Georgia, they would charge about $7 to families that were adopting a child in Tennessee. So at this time, Georgia as she was running this facility, this adoption agency, she was noticing that there was a market for rich out of state families that were wanting children. And these rich families would pay a premium for them. So Georgia being an entrepreneur, she decided to start up a black market ring of selling children to rich families. Now, How this would work is that these rich families would reach out to Georgia and Georgia would then send a few people who worked for her that were in on this scheme to those states where those rich families live and they would meet up with those families. The people who worked for Georgia would explain to the families, hey, you got to pay this, this and this. The rich families would then write a $700 check per child and make it out to Georgia. Now, this check was then deposited and kept in a secret bank account under a false corporation name.
0: Now, as disturbing as this is, it only gets worse. So, initially, you would think that these were like orphans or children that were neglected. However, that is not true. Georgia would use a variety of methods to get these children.
1: For an example, she would talk to poor single mothers and get them to turn over their children to her facility in Memphis. However, if the single mothers were like, eh, no, I'm okay, I'm, you know, I'm doing my best taking care of my children, Georgia would then say that the state would be called on her and her children. They would come in and take the children away from her, and her children would then be placed in horrible facilities, which they would not be taken care of. So, And since, she's saying, hey, I can take your children now for you and place them in my good facility, or I can call the state and have CPS come in and take your children from you and they'll place them in a horrible facility. She was manipulating these single poor mothers into signing over their kids. And that's how she got some of these kids, which then she would turn around and sell them to rich families.
0: Another way that Georgia got children is that inmates at Tennessee mental institutions and other prisoners of the state who were pregnant, whenever they would have their baby, it would be taken from them and given over to her facility.
1: Which then she would turn around and sell to rich families. Oh, my God. And a judge was in on this, which we find out later on. Spoiler alert. A judge was in on all this, which... (laughs) This is insane. Yeah, it's nuts. Now, you would think that initially that would be plenty of children for her. However, apparently... The demand from rich families wanting children was extremely high. And to meet this demand, Georgia would often kidnap children. That's including, you know, her going to these single poor mothers and intimidating them and getting them to sign over their kids and the inmates and prisoners. She would also kidnap kids.
0: I want to beat the hell out of Georgia right now.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so in some cases... Single parents would drop their children off at nursery schools, just like how they would every day. You know, they would go drop them off at nursery school that they were paying for, go to work, and then they'd drive back to the nursery school, pick their children back up after work, and then go home. However, on various occasions, whenever these certain parents would return that afternoon after work to pick up their children, the nursery school would tell them, the parents, that welfare agents of the state had came and taken their children, when in reality, it was Georgia who had came and taken the children and sold them off.
0: So she pretended to be a welfare agent? Yep. Oh, man. So another example would be children taken from temporary orphanages. So let's say a family was experiencing illness or unemployment. They would then place their children in what they thought was a temporary orphanage. The family would then go to the orphanage to get their children back, only to learn that the orphanage had either adopted them out or that they
1: had no record of the children being placed there at all. Georgia would go there and get the children and sell them.
0: My goodness.
1: Now, I know we mentioned Georgia convincing poor single moms to sign over their babies. However, sometimes Georgia didn't even try to, like, talk to the moms to try to convince them. For an example, Georgia would go to hospitals, find unmarried mothers who had just had a baby. Georgia would go tell the mothers that their newborns required medical care and then take the newborns with her, leave, and go sell them. And, of course, when the mothers would ask about their children, hey, where's my newborn at? Georgia would then tell them that their babies had died, when in reality they had just been sold.
0: Now, to add to even more of this weirdness is that in 1943, A wealthy businessman donated a mansion to Georgia. This mansion was used by Georgia for her children selling business. The first floor of the mansion was used as offices and intake rooms for
1: various children, and the upstairs was used as a nursery for the newborns. So when the children that Georgia got weren't sold right away, they were placed here, in this unlicensed home, aka mansion, where they were often mistreated neglected, abused, and even sometimes murdered. Yes, murdered. Now, the entire staff of this mansion facility that worked for Georgia, they were all females, and they all wore white nursing uniforms, even though none of them were nurses and none of them had any medical training. And it was reported that almost all of them were addicted to some type of substance.
0: Now, the children who were difficult to deal with or hard to sell, these nurses would frequently sedate them or just allow them to starve to death. Some of the children who passed away were buried in a cemetery in Memphis. However, the majority of the children were never accounted for, and the exact number of deceased children remains unknown. However, some estimate that it is around 500
1: children who died due to mistreatment. And just a random knowledge nugget, In the 1930s and 40s, Memphis, Tennessee had the highest infant mortality rate in the nation. And you know what this was caused from? Georgia. All because of her. Because of her agency and her mansion that she kept these kids at, they were dying so much that they were causing the infant mortality rate in Memphis to become the number one place in the United States. So in the end, The investigation found out that Georgia had kidnapped and sold over 5,000 children to families in New York and California. Once this news kind of came out, both of those states, New York and California, they vowed to take action. They were like, we're going to return these kids back to their parents. However, there was no investigation into the child adoptions that occurred. The states didn't do anything, and no children were brought back to their families. I bet there was like no paperwork at all. I didn't mention this, but yes, uh, all of the paperwork was shredded by Georgia.
0: In regards to Georgia Tan, she ended up dying of cancer actually three days before the state filed charges against her. Also, a judge that helped Georgia out in this black market selling of children was investigated for receiving bribes. However, the state of Tennessee never filed any charges against the judge and she retired shortly after and then died in 1955.
1: Now, That is the story of Georgia Tan, and I know we kind of dove deep into her and her kidnapping kids, but what does that have to do with Marjorie's case and her disappearing while picking flowers? Well, like I mentioned, there is a rumor in that town that everyone believes, and it is that Marjorie was actually kidnapped by the ring of people that Georgia had employed to steal kids for her Georgia then sold Marjorie to a family in either New York or California and that is what a lot of people believe what happened to Marjorie however to this day no one knows what truly happened to Marjorie and she still remains you know missing even though she's probably dead because it's been like a long time. All right, so before we get into this next case, we're going to take a quick break. It's our last one. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. So, this last case that we're going to talk about is over the solder children. And in my opinion, this is by far the creepiest story on the Charlie Project website. So, Dan, have you ever heard of the solder children at all? I have not. I mean, I've heard some like, you know, sprinklings of people saying, hey, you need to look into the Solder children or look into this case, but I never really looked into it until, you know, we started our research and it's weird. So start us off on it, Dan. So on December 24th,
0: 1945, in Fayetteville, West Virginia, five-year-old Betty Soder and her nine brothers and sisters, yes, nine other siblings all the kids were excited that they had just gotten new toys. Five-year-old Betty and four of her siblings, Maurice, Martha, Louis, and Jenny, went up to their parents and asked if they could stay up and play with their Christmas toys after the rest of the family
1: went to bed. The five children were like, uh, Could we please stay up? You got any games on your phone? You got, got, you got any play on your tablet, Mama? No, f*** you. Go to bed, man. It's my tablet, little, little bastard. Speaking of tablets, I was trying to use mine yesterday.
0: Last person to use it was my nephew. I had uninstalled 138 games.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And there were still six pages of games left that I still have to uninstall. I couldn't update Amazon Kindle on my tablet because there were so many games.
1: Damn, dude, you need to put like a passcode on that so he can't install any games on it. That's nuts.
0: Last time I had to put a code on it so he couldn't spend any money because he spent over 100.
1: Ooh. <laughs> it's okay.
0: That, that was my fault.
1: I'll be whooping some ass.
0: No, it was my fault. I should have put a passcode on it. Didn't even think about it.
1: All right. So the five children promised that they would do their chores before they went to sleep. So their parents were like, "Eh, okay, you can stay up and play with your Christmas toys. The parents put the rest of the children to sleep. And they also decided, hey, let's go to bed. So shortly after midnight, the children's mother, Jenny, she was awoken by the phone ringing. When Ginny answered the phone, there was a female caller on the other end who asked to speak to someone that Jenny did not know. Jenny was like, I have no idea who the hell that is. Why are you calling me? It's midnight. The female caller laughed and then hung up.
0: Jenny brushed it off and thought this was just a prank call. Before she went back to sleep, though, she noticed that her home's lights were on. She got up to turn them off, and that is when she noticed that the shades were up and that the doors were unlocked. Jenny closed the shades, locked the doors, turned off the lights, and went back to sleep.
1: Only an hour and a half later, at 1.30 a.m., Jenny was awoken again. Except this time, it was by a noise that was coming from her roof. Jenny got up to check the noise out, and then quickly realized that, oh shit, our house is on fire so she yelled for her husband and children, Hey! House is on fire! Get the hell out of here! Jenny, her husband George, two of their sons,
0: and one of their daughters who was carrying the baby of the family all had made it outside. However, the kids that were allowed to stay up and play with their toys, Maurice, Martha, Louise, little Jenny, and Betty, they were all missing. At this point, the family started freaking out, so George tried to find a ladder which was kept near the house so he could climb up to the children's bedrooms but the latter had disappeared. So the family had to sit there and watch their home burn, thinking that the five other children were still inside.
1: That's got to be a horrible feeling, man. Oh, I couldn't imagine. It's got to be. So 45 minutes after the fire had started, the entire home was burned to the ground. The fire department then showed up. It's like, dude, you're a little late, huh? <laughs> it's been 45 minutes. Where the hell you been? Anyways, the fire department showed up. Did an investigation and determined that the fire was due to faulty wiring in the home. The ashes of the home was examined to see if they could find any trace of bone or human organs. However, none were found.
0: Even though no trace of the children were found in the fire, the local coroner ruled that the five missing solder children had died in the fire. George and Jenny, however, stated that they didn't believe that their children had died in the fire and that instead, They were kidnapped, and the fire was deliberately set to cover up the crime.
1: Following that, some witnesses came forward and reported that they had seen the solder children in the area shortly after they had supposedly died. Of course, this caused George and Jenny to be like, oh, maybe our children are alive. They ended up going to the police and told them, hey, these witnesses said this, you should probably reopen the case. However, the police were like, "Hmm." No, and they refused to look into the witness accounts because they believed that no crime had been committed.
0: Man. Yeah. Now get this. 23 years later, in 1968, George and Jenny received a photograph in the mail of a young man in his mid-20s. On the back of the photograph were these words, "Louis Sauter. I love brother Frankie. Then it says, I-L-I-L boys, so illa boys and then a nine zero one three two so of course the solders believed that this was a photo of their son lewis as an adult however they were unable to verify it they were never able to figure out who sent the photograph and if the man in the photo was actually their son or not
1: so for the rest of their lives jenny and george searched for their missing children They got multiple billboards and advertised rewards on them for their children's safe returns. Then, in 1969, George passed away, and then in 1989, Jenny passed away. Both of them died not knowing the truth as to what truly happened to their children. Man, it's heartbreaking.
0: That really is. Man. And then someone was pretty much... Taunting them.
1: Yeah, I think with that, I think um, the children got abducted and then, yes, somebody was taunting the family. I just don't get why Jenny wouldn't go look to see if, you know, the children are in bed after she saw the lights on and the doors run locked. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, all right, so those are some cases that came from the Charlie Project website. And uh, now we're going to transition into strange facts and findings. So Dan, can you start us off with those?
0: Of course. All right. So our first strange fact and finding is about some more statistics about missing people. Now, early in the episode we discussed the hundreds of thousands of children that are reported missing in the United States every year. However, those statistics on missing children in the United States do not hold a candle to the amount of kids that go missing in the entire world.
1: So get this, it is estimated that 8 million, M, million, children go missing each year worldwide. And even though those numbers are are pretty crazy high, it still isn't all of them, because even in countries like Africa, Asia, and Latin America, they don't even keep count of missing children. In fact, In many of those places, there are like no specific laws for these missing children.
0: These countries don't have any established protocols or central missing child registries, which makes it more difficult for families to find their missing kids. And because of this, in 1998, the International Center for Missing and Exported Children created the Global Missing Children's Network to help families in these countries that don't keep a database. This Global Missing Children's Network is a multilingual database that features photographs and information about missing children from around the world, which is a good thing.
1: Now, some other statistics that we haven't mentioned is that the United States does not track the number of Americans that go missing in a foreign country. So let's say you go visit, I don't know, Italy or some other country and you go missing. United States don't give a shit. They don't even keep a tally of it, you know. However, they do keep track of how many people that have disappeared on cruise ships. So get this, which is totally odd. But from 2002 to 2007, 30 people have disappeared on cruise ships. 30 people. I mean, where the hell did they go? Did they just get thrown off the ship? That's the only logical thing that happened to him. Maybe
0: getting drunk, going on to the balcony and leaning over too far and bloop.
1: Yeah. But you figured that boats like that would have cameras in those, you know, high risk areas or, you know, even along all the edges to see like, hey, OK, yeah, we have proof that this person, you know, fell off. Or maybe these are the
0: cruises that actually stop to where people can get off the ship. To go on to, like, islands and stuff. Okay. And that's when they get kidnapped because they don't, they don't go around telling to make sure everyone got back on the ship. Yeah. highly doubt that. Hmm. Too many people. Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. So, Dan, hit us with this next strange fact and finding.
0: Now, our next strange fact and finding is about the origins of the name The Charlie Project. So, Charlie was the nickname of Charles Brewster Ross who was abducted from his home in Germantown, Pennsylvania, on July 1, 1874, when he was just four years old. His family spent the rest of their lives looking for him in a search that extended over the world and gained international attention. This, of course, wasn't the first kidnapping in the United States. However, it was one of the first highly publicized kidnappings.
1: Sadly, the search was unsuccessful. Charlie would remain lost forever. And there is no evidence at all as to what happened to him and his story has nearly been forgotten. So, of course, the website itself, The Charlie Project, was named in honor of the missing four-year-old Charles Brewster Ross. And that's where the website got his name from, which I thought, you know, we would mention because it is pretty interesting. But this next strange fact and finding is honestly my favorite one. So our next strange fact and finding is about Ric Flair. Dan, please tell me you know who Ric Flair is. Woo! Yes. Oh, hell yeah, you do. That right there tells me you know who he is. (laughs) All right. But if you, the listener, don't know who Ric Flair is, it's okay. I'll educate you, all right? Let me hit you with some knowledge nuggets. So Ric Flair is regarded by many people to be one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. For the past almost 40 years, Ric Flair has dominated the wrestling ring. He is a 16-time world champion and was the first holder of the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Now, when I say wrestling, you're probably thinking, oh, Roman Greco wrestling, where you like get on and wrestle each other on mats. It's in the Olympics. No, this is like on the TV talking shit to one another in a microphone and then fake Hitting each other. That type of wrestling. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, why do we mention the nature boy, Ric Flair? Well, remember that old bitch Georgia Tan who was selling children to rich families? Yep. Well, on February 25th, 1949, in Memphis, Tennessee, Ric Flair was born, and guess what? The Tennessee Children's Home Society, a.k.a. the adoption agency run by Georgia Tan who sold kids, Well, they got a hold of Ric Flair's biological parents after he was born and convinced them to sign him over to a family who was
1: looking to adopt. Isn't that nuts? That is nuts. Yeah. Ric Flair was pretty much sold to a different family, and the family he was sold to are his adoptive family. His father was a doctor, and his mother, I think, was like a writer, and they were pretty well off. I mean,
0: if they're writing checks for $700 back then,
1: Yeah. So if, you know, Georgia Tan hadn't been around and sold Ric Flair to his current, you know, parents, we may have never had the 16-time world champion, woo, Ric Flair. No nature boy? No nature boy. No high-styling, profiling, limousine-riding, kiss-stealing, wheeling-dealing, son of a gun. Damn. If you haven't seen Ric Flair before, go, just go on YouTube and type in Rick Flair promo and just watch one of his promos. They're
0: excellent. Oh, yeah. Nature boy. Yep.
1: Yeah. All right. So now we're going to transition over to theories. And uh, we're going to discuss and hypothesize as to the reason why so many people every year go missing. And we have a few theories on that. So, Dan, tell us this first theory.
0: Okay. So, the first theory is that the reason so many people go missing is that they are being kidnapped and sold. So, we know that Georgia Tan was running a black market for selling babies and children in the 1940s. And we know that stuff like this hasn't stopped. Human trafficking in general is super common and a lucrative business for people to earn a lot of money. 100%
1: it's still going on. It's still going on. But I think it's more than that. I think there's additional stuff, right? It's not just for selling children. And I think our next theory plays a role in it as well. So our next theory as to why so many people go missing every year is very similar to the one we just talked about. Except these people that are being sold is that they're being uh, purchased exclusively for their organs. So. If you haven't listened to our episode uh, titled Black Market Human Organ Harvesting or something like that, uh, I would highly suggest listening to it. We did it a few weeks ago. I think it was like maybe a month or two ago we did that episode. In that episode, we go into super detail about how much money is in human organs and how common it is for people to get their organs stolen and sold. And we also talk about People selling babies and other people trying to purchase them to use them for, you know, organs. For example, in that uh, episode, Black Market Human Organ Harvesting, we talk about how police did a raid on that uh, sex worker who had a pretty much party selling her newborn baby and taking bids on it. And the undercover police showed up and purchased the baby for I think like three hundred or $350,000. Oh, yeah police were talking to the other people there and they were like yeah i'm here as a representative for a family who has a toddler who needs organs and i'm purchasing this baby for them to use the organs of this baby for that toddler it's like whoa whoa you know yeah so that's one of the theories which i kind of my personal belief i kind of think it's both you know people being sold and purchased but also for the human organs you know you know, someone told
0: me, I can't remember exactly who, I think I have an idea, but not positive. You know how when you go to like Walmart and you see like they usually have that bulletin board, I think it's usually by by the bathrooms of missing people and stuff? Yeah. Someone actually told me that there was a conspiracy about that, that those are not like actually trying to help people look for them, that it's actually like a catalog. For people selling people on the black market. Ooh, that's dark. Ooh. That's very dark.
1: Yeah, so they use the missing children as like a catalog for the elites to look through and say, okay, I want to purchase this, this, and this child. Damn. Yeah. That's gnarly, man. Kind of scary. Yeah. All right, Dan, so tell us about this next theory.
0: So our next theory as to why so many people go missing is that they are used in the hunting game. Now, if you don't know what the hunting game is, well, there are rumors that the elites have people kidnapped and then dropped on a private island that they own. The elites then hunt down these kidnapped people on their island as kind of a sports for them.
1: Oh, man. That's dark. That's even, you know, that's dark right there.
0: I remember reading a story about that, that people did that stuff.
1: Yeah, we covered that in our um Dark Web episode, I think. Oh, yeah. About the elite using people for game. And I think there was a movie released here in the past few years about this family of elites that got drug addicts and other people and kidnapped them and took them to a specific area where they hunted them down. I forget what it's called. I think it's called Hunt.
0: Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Squid Game. Even though they weren't all kidnapped, they were just manipulated because they were all in debt Yeah, for the elite's pleasure. AKA the Rothschilds.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about our next theory as to why so many people go missing each year. And this one is that they are taken by aliens. So many people believe that the elites have an agreement with alien beings and that this agreement allows the aliens to abduct a certain amount of humans per year. For them to run tests on. However. There is a theory that some people believe. That the elites don't have any agreement at all. That instead the aliens are just like. F the elites. We don't give a shit about them. We're just going to come down and kidnap. As many people as we want. To run these tests. And there's nothing you could do about it. Which if they're traveling around in space. (laughs) Realistically there is nothing we can do about it. They could pretty much do whatever they wanted. Yeah. Their technology is way more advanced than ours
0: especially if they're traveling that much.
1: Yeah, and we have talked about uh, that agreement in past episodes. I think it was our Skinny Bob episode where we talked about how one of the past presidents had an agreement with the, uh, the aliens from Zeta Reticuli and that this agreement was that in exchange for technology, that the president would allow the aliens to abduct a certain amount of human beings per year. So, if you want to hear about that, go listen to our Skinny Bob episode. Skinny Bob. Yeah. All right, Dan. So, tell us about this last theory.
0: So, the last theory we have as to why so many people go missing is due to government tests. So, this theory is that the governments around the world randomly kidnap people and place them in underground bases and run tests on them. Dude, Project uh, Montauk, I think.
1: Project Montauk, where they were taking uh, the homeless people and running tests on them. Exactly. I think they did it to kids as well. Yep. Yep. It's scary, man. As we were researching this, I did read something that uh, said that Bigfoot is kidnapping all these kids and people. Which is kind of hard to believe because, I mean, that would require a lot of Bigfoots. It would. I guess we go into personal thoughts and theories now, and I have to ask you, Dan. What is your personal belief as to why all of these children and individuals around the world are going missing every year? Do you think they're just running away from their home or do you think the main cause of it is because they're being kidnapped and sold or, you know, are being trafficked or being taken by aliens?
0: I know for a fact in foreign countries, like in, you know, I'm going to say mostly in Asia and stuff, a lot of Kids are being kidnapped and being sold on the black market, you know, human trafficking. They're being sold as sex slaves. Like it happens way too often over there and no one really cares about it. So I 100% believe the black market, not for human organs, just human trafficking for the kids themselves. I mean, I'm not going to say that the United States is not doing it because I mean, we had Epstein Island.
1: Yeah, but the children there were used more as like a blackmail. Yeah for high-up political people, you know.
0: And then uh, it reminds me of, um, what's his name? Ashton Kutcher? Yeah. He has a...
1: Hot wife. He does have a hot wife.
0: Does have a hot wife. But he has, he runs like a, um, not a program, but he goes out and he actually helps fight against human trafficking of women. And I haven't, like, heard much lately about him and all that because, you know, he stopped making movies and stuff and he focused mostly on this.
1: Yeah, so, um and I think it was like 2012, he created a, a company called Thorn, and it was Ashton Kutcher and actually Demi Moore. And um it's like a, it basically talks about the issue of child sex trafficking and child exploitation. And they want to like eradicate global child sex trafficking. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so. Woo, that's... Crazy, you know. Then
0: yeah, they've helped out. They've helped out a lot of people, a lot of kids. Saved a lot of kids and stuff.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. And of course, people are gonna be like, "Oh, it wasn't happening and all that." Yeah, it's happening. People don't want to believe it. And then, of course, while we were talking about it, not through that whole Solder family thing, still bugging me. The whole sending a photograph of the, uh, Lewis. Yeah. And as I looked at the way the person wrote it it wasn't i l i l boys that's that is literally l l i l boys oh okay you type that into google you get a bunch of pictures of little kids
1: oh jesus christ dan
0: that's literally what it is because look it says i love brother frankie he he capitalized the i there but why didn't he capitalize the i in front of the i l i l So that's two, that's three lowercase L's in that. I don't know. I'm guessing the A90132 or 35 on the thing is like a catalog number. I'm just saying. Mm. That's that right there makes me more believe that the kids were uh, kidnapped and then trafficked. That's
1: something we're going to have to dig into more. Yep. Yeah, but I'm right there with you. I think, you know, children are being taken and sold on black markets, either for, you know, the global sex trade or either for their organs. And the same is with adults. Oh, yeah. They're being used for sex trade, you know, slavery even, and, you know, their organs. I mean, look at China. We talked about them in our black market organ harvesting episode. They're taking their prisoners and killing them off and using their organs. Uh, to give to other people. It's nuts, man.
0: So what if people were being kidnapped in the United States, mostly I'm thinking adults on this one, but they could use kids, and they're being transported out of the country, they have no identification, no passport or nothing, to claim who they are, that they're a United States citizen, and they're being forced to work in, like, say, factories and stuff like that in foreign countries.
1: Ooh. Who's who's kidnapping in the other foreign countries or maybe corporations, maybe corporations, maybe these corporations hire people to go kidnap, you know, random people in the United States, take them over to their corporation, say, hey, you're working in this freaking line to make theories of the third kind stickers so they never get sent out. Oh, gosh, no, none (laughs) of our stickers (laughs) get made overseas, ladies and gentlemen, none of them. No, Okay. Uh, but yeah, but they're sent into like a factory and told to, hey, you got to sit here in this line and make these things, and if you don't, you'll get shot and killed.
0: Yeah, I don't even think of that because of some of the people that get smuggled into the United States are forced to work, you know, dealing with drugs and stuff like that. Cause where else are they gonna go? Their their families like hostage and stuff like that. Possibly, I'm thinking like what is it? Uh, rush hour. They were doing that shit on that movie. They were smuggling people in, and then,
1: damn, I don't, I don't know. It's been, it's been, it's been very long since I've seen that movie.
0: Yeah. So they were being forced to work to keep their families alive and stuff. I
1: don't know. Yeah,
0: I can see it being happening though.
1: Regardless, either way you look at it, this is horrible. Child trafficking, children getting kidnapped, adults getting kidnapped. It sucks, and it's a hard pill to swallow. But it's happening, and the only advice that I could give you is to stay aware of your surroundings, wherever you're at. Keep eyes on your kids, please. Yes. Not only on your kids, but yourself as well. Oh, yeah. I had a guy in H-E-B the other day when I went there to go get some Easter eggs, which, by the way, I'll talk about that during our Patreon episode. He tried to touch your dick. (laughs) But he didn't try to touch my dick, but. I'll tell you about the debacle of me trying to find freaking Easter eggs at H-E-B and all the other stores in Waco, Texas. They were non-existent. Anyway, uh, there's a whole conspiracy behind that because somebody was going and buying them all out. Anyway, old man was sitting there following me everywhere I went. I went down the toy aisle. He followed me. I went down the milk aisle. He followed me. I said, damn, dude. I even went up to a cash register to pretend like I was going to check out. And then I walked around and left that cash register. And walked back to the frozen food thing, and he followed me there. So I'm like, damn, I'm really going to have to beat this old dude's ass in the parking lot when he tries to kidnap me. Luckily, he quit following me after I checked out, so. Maybe he was just looking at my goodies. You know, I was wearing some shorts that day, had my legs shaved, was flexing them, so. Maybe he thought you were stealing.
0: He's probably like security or something. (laughs) What was I stealing? (laughs) I was looking for eggs. Exactly, you were (laughs) trying to steal eggs. Damn. All right. He's got two eggs in his pants right there he's stealing. He's not paying for them.
1: <laughs> yeah. But seriously, people, be on the lookout. Stay aware of your surroundings. You know, we don't want you kidnapped. We want you uh, alive and well. But, hey, if you, our loved one, have ever been kidnapped and you want to talk about it and tell us your story, send us an email to Aaron at Theories of the Third kind dot com or you can send it to Dan at kind.com and we'd love to hear about it. Yeah. All right. Well, do you have anything else? to add to today's episode before we go to our on the scene, Dan? No, I'm good. All right. So that's the end of the episode today. I hope you all enjoyed it. And now we're going to transition to our on the scene. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what our on the scene is, it is where a listener and it could be anybody, it could be you uh, from around the world goes and interviews anyone on the street, a loved one, anybody about current conspiracy happenings in the world and gets their opinion. And hey, even if you're not interviewing anybody, if you just want to submit an on the scene where you have a mini theory that you want to talk about, go ahead and send it in, and we'll play it. Uh, just make sure that the audio is in okay quality, you know. doesn't have to be perfect, just, but just make sure there's, like, no, like, loud noises in the background or anything. Um, and make sure the audio is less than two minutes long, and you can uh, send that audio clip to our emails, which is Aaron at Theories of the Third Kind, or you can send it to Dan at Theories of the Third Kind. And we will put it in queue to be played on one of our following episodes, which we have a line of, I don't know, like five or six people in line waiting for theirs to be played. But once yours comes up and gets played, we will send you an email and say, hey, yours is being played on this week's episode so that you are aware that it's being played. And that's what our on the scene is. Nice. And uh, this week we have an on the scene from Jacob, which we're going to listen to right now, hey theories of the third kind fans, this is your boy Jacob on the scene with
0: Andrew, 11 years old. Andrew, do you believe in aliens?
1: I feel like there's more created out there, so yes, I would believe. And we only found like a small percentage of the ocean, so I feel like there could be more in outer space. Very good, very good. And do you believe in ghosts? I feel like the devil will play tricks with people, and try to manipulate them to see what they could or could not see.
0: Awesome. And last
1: question. Do you believe in Bigfoot? Um, I feel like his species died out, and there was only one more, and we named him Bigfoot, and that was the only sighting. And he died a long time ago.
0: And just for curiosity, why do you think Bigfoot has such big feet?
1: It's a set. Comes with the wiener. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. You take that back, though. He didn't die. He's alive. (laughs) Yeah, he's alive. How dare you? He's running for president in 2024. But I agree with the last thing. You would. You're sick. All right. Thank you for that uh, voicemail, Jacob and Andrew. I appreciate it. It was excellent. That was pretty good. I mean, he's right. Your 11-year-old son is way more articulate than my Almost 15-year-old son. (laughs) You don't talk bad about him. (laughs) I mean, it's the truth. I ask him these things. I'm like, hey, how was school today? He was good. I'm like, what'd you do? Nothing. What'd you learn? Nothing. Cool, man. Did you pay attention? Nothing. (laughs) What do you think about aliens? Eh, they're cool. I'm like, oh, my God. You're like the worst on the scene ever.
0: Oh, man. That's not the trend now, Dad.
1: Yeah, it's not cool, Dad. It's like there's no cap. You know what I mean? I have no idea. Some of the slang he uses, I'm like, man, I'm getting old. What does no cap mean? I think like no cap means like no lie. I think. Oh. I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm not hip with the new slang, my guy. Dang, I feel like a grandpa. I don't know the slang stuff either. Yeah. Um, But again, thank you, Jacob and Andrew, for the on the scene. I love it. Yes. Thank you for that. All right. So now we're gonna move on to shout outs. So, Dan, who do you got for shout outs this week?
0: For shout outs, I got a couple from different platforms. We'll start off with Facebook, of course. Shout out to Pink King, Eddie L C Lars D, Ruder W, Brandon J. Then shout out to at on TikTok. Gotcha, buddy.
1: I like your I like your TikToks. No seriously, your TikToks are pretty good. They are pretty funny. If any of you have TikTok, go check them out. What's his name again? At Bad Daddy Official. Bad Daddy Official. Yeah, I like his uh, I like his persona. I like his gimmick. You know, he'd make a good professional wrestler. Dude, that mustache is legendary. Can I have a ride, please? Thank you. <laughs> All right. The
0: next I'll go over email. Susanna B. Tucker S, Timon Lee, and Donnie Fleming. And then Discord, shout out to Swayze. He just had his gallbladder removed, so he's in recovery right now. Shout out to you, buddy. Hope for a fast recovery.
1: I'm proud of you, and I hope you got to save your gallbladder in a little jar. If so, send it to us at our P.O. Box. I'd love to keep it.
0: No, because it'll send to me. I don't want no gallbladder <laughs> in the P.O. Box. Uh. Then shout-out to Spaceman Johnson. And then shout-out to Exaxa on Discord. Those are my shout-outs for this week.
1: Nice. All right. Uh, so my shout-outs this week, I want to shout-out Robin Page. I want to shout-out Carry On Loveday. Uh, Alexander Taylor. Uh, Andres Figoria. Dr. Paul Collins. Soli. Richard Aguilar. Love you. Kneecaps.
0: Kneecaps.
1: Uh, Richard Zabata, Joshua Harrington, Brian Sanchez, Karina, Growing Fires. They sent us a uh, message on Instagram, said our podcast came up as a recommendation the other week. And uh, they said that they're a huge conspiracy nut, and they gave us a shout out. Nice. So on their podcast. So, hey, shout out to you guys, Growing Fires. Love you. Aaron Michael Krotz. Shout out to you, Um, Robin Page, Garrett Jones, Brian Nolan, Nicholas Ransom, Ali Samano, Matt Lawrence, uh, Nick Centron, Billy Willie Wheat, Brooke, Rachel Root, Justin Bargun, Matthew McDay, Michael Rodriguez, Eddie, shout out to him, he said, hey, I heard the that's what she said on the latest Patreon episode. Yeah, I said it really quietly. <laughs> <laughs> He's the only person that mentioned that he heard that. I left it in, uh, but very quietly. Yeah. Daniel Rodriguez, Audra Hayden, Ashley Shelton, Zach Brownie, Katrina, Junior Tool and Forge, Gus Leal, Stephanie, Elena, Kevin Lee, uh, Mariah Lazarus. She did a little artwork for us. Looks great. I love it. I don't know if you've seen it, but she tagged you on Instagram, Dan. Oh, I'll
0: have to take a look.
1: Uh, her husband, boyfriend, whatever he is. Oh, her boyfriend. Brandon is our bodyguard. She's a graphic designer or whatever. She sent us uh, some artwork. It's great. Um, shout out to Ashley Govder and Dominique. Okay, let me go over to my personal ones. Shout out to Alejandro Alvarez. Said, didn't know about Waco until I heard that podcast. Could not imagine what it was like. You're an inspiration. No, Alejandro, you're an inspiration. Uh, shout out to Preston Vierman, Jacob, Stephanie Stewart, Terry Ann, Carrie Sandolf, Luke Walton, Marissa. Sent me a message and said, hey, Aaron, could you look into some stuff, which I can't say the name of what she told me to look into. Otherwise, our episode would be tagged. Uh, by Spotify, so you know automatically what I'm talking about. Don't say it out loud, Dan. I have mentioned this in the previous episode, and my theory was true. Even just mentioning its name, your episode gets tagged.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, Marissa said to look into that, but yeah, we'll check it out. She also said, could you please sh- uh, give a shout-out to my son, Aiden, and my daughter, Kaya? They are huge fans, and we enjoy listening to you guys. We're very much proud of you guys. Well, hey, I'm proud of you. Marissa, Aiden, and Kaya, I love you, and I hope you're doing good. Now, I know I got a lot more shout-outs on emails and stuff like that, but I'll save them for next week. We had a ton of emails and messages after we did our merchandise launch this past week, and I figured, hey, you know, we pretty much got way more than I thought would be enough merchandise. And the shit still sold out, like, extremely fast. Well, majority of it. Yeah, it did. We're going to be restocking it, though. Drops are going to be more frequent. So if you're like, oh, man, I didn't get a shirt, or I didn't get this, I didn't get that, it's going to come back. We should have an announcement on the, theories of the third kind shop.com, uh, a banner on the top of it that tells you the day of the next drop. Uh, we also got a few more things that are going to be exclusive for Patreon members that, hey, they're going to get the first uh, dibs on it when it comes to that stuff. Uh, we aren't going to announce what it is yet, but it'll be coming in the next week or two. And it's it's very exclusive items, like extremely low count. We got them all custom made. Patreon members get first dibs on them. The rest then go to the public. I think that's only fair, Yeah, you know. So, yeah. But we love them. And each one is custom made by us, by hand. So, yeah, it's made with love. But we'll talk more about that later. Yeah.
0: We still have some shirts and stuff on the site. You know, a couple of the classic logo ones.
1: Yeah, let me go take a look. Theories of the third kind shop.com. Or you can just go to our site, theories of the third and click on shop. So we have the classic logo tank T in three different colors still available. The classic cover art T, uh, which is our classic cover art. And then we have tie dye logo T. And then we have the New World Order T, which is TOT3K that looks like the NWO if you're into wrestling. Ooh. We have the Vitruvian Bigfoot and the Last Supper tees, which are awesome. The three head tees. I love you and I'm proud of you. Then we have the new cover art and the classic logo hat and classic coffee mug. All that stuff as of right now is still in stock. So. Nice. All right. Well, do you have anything else you want to add to today's episode before we roll this one out? Nope. I'm good. All right. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are amazing. Every single one of you. And I'm proud of you. And I love you. And I just want you to know that. So with that being said, Dan, do you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's
0: okay to be out of
1: this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone.